Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. everyone, Stucky here. And I'm Gabby. And welcome back to the podcast, my hoes. Welcome back to an episode that we're doing here with Gabby. If you all saw the episode that we did on YouTube slash the podcast last week was with Anna Markey. And that was, that was a ton of fun. I think we're going to actually include a lot more guests for varying things for future episodes, just because it makes life a lot easier. And you've been studying and doing a lot of stuff for your programs. Just finished my first like semester of grad school, straight A's by the way, but it was not easy with traveling and working and parenting. Literally so. everything combined. It's been absolute madhouse for her. She was simultaneously editing one of my videos today while watching our child. So that was, um, that was something. <laughs> she kept me on track. So that was great. But today's episode is about... Something else that is over the top and completely out of control. We're talking about crime, people. Well, I mean, specifically, this is, it, it's organized, okay? It's literally, it's organized, it's organized crime. How does that make it better? <laughs> because then it fits with the pun of me saying at least it's organized. <laughs> Okay. Well, it's about Al Capone, which is so funny because he was like, oh yeah, I'm writing about Al Capone. And I'm like, who? And then I go and I ask her mother. And of course her mother, you know, growing up and seeing all of the old programs that they would be getting back in Trinidad, seeing all the like shows out of the fifties and sixties in the United States that had all those mobster crime shows and, and, and police shows. She was obsessed with them. So she knew exactly what I was talking about. And I have no clue who Al Capone is. So I'll be learning along with you guys. So what we're going to be talking about today is Al Capone. The name probably means a lot to a number of people who have heard of this, or at least if it doesn't mean a lot, they at least recognize, like in your case, you know the name, even if you don't actually know the story. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Al Capone, for those who are uninitiated, is a American mobster. All right. He worked with the outfit syndicate of the Italian American mafia during the prohibition era, and he was infamous. This is arguably one of the biggest gangsters in American history. In fact, I'm actually wondering in terms of worth, I should do a chart probably for a video that just rates like the estimated wealth of gangsters and criminals in history for like who had the biggest stash, so to speak. Is he potentially like the godfather? So Al Capone, like the godfather Well, or cooler? No, he, I'm not even gonna say cooler, but remember the movie Scarface? Like the say hello to my little friend. No. <laughs> okay, but you know, like that that phrase, like the say hello to yeah. my little friend. That is Scarface and that is based on Al Capone. Okay. That's why he's called okay. Scarface. So we're going to get into that whole component of it here. But Al Capone's nickname was Scarface because he had scars on his face. Like wicked prominent scars too that he got from a younger age. Even though he didn't actually like that nickname. He didn't, he really didn't like it. We're no gonna... one would like a nickname pointing out their great insecurities. It's like, I have a, big scar on my face. If people are like, oh, Scarface, I would cry. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. And it's just, it's not something that he liked here, right? But he is easily one of the most brutal mob bosses that has ever been seen in the United States. He is the guy who would elevate Chicago to be essentially the hub of mafia activity over the course of the 1920s. And he ruled it with an absolute iron fist. His fortune was massive. I mean, this guy, I he... We're going to get into the actual amount of money that this guy had at a later time, but it is truly insane. And that's actually what would end up subsequently bringing him down. He was the gentleman mobster. That was the archetype. He was the one who he didn't want to get his hands dirty. He always had a middleman who would do the deeds that he needed. Meanwhile, he'd be organizing all of it and raking in the cash. And this is the story of his life, his death, and then his legacy and how everything went down because 
holy shit, is it wild from beginning to end. That usually happens when you're talking about crime, right? So his name wasn't just Al Capone. That wasn't what it was in the beginning. It was Alphonse Gabriel Capone. So Al Capone, that's where that comes from. He was born in Brooklyn, New York on January 17th, 1899, and his parents were Italian immigrants who had arrived in the United States in 1893. His father, Gabriel, was a barber, and his mother, Teresa, was a seamstress. His like, mother, Teresa. Yeah, it was Mother <laughs> Teresa. Yeah, exactly. So when the Capones had arrived in New York, they already had two other small children, and Teresa was pregnant with their third. In all, Capone actually had eight siblings, six brothers and two sisters, which by Italian standards of the time. Eight. That was normal. Eight. Gabby, do you ever see those things about those videos or pictures where it would show like, oh yes, here's these tenement departments in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. And you just see these people crammed into this little thing. It's like, oh yeah, that looks like a good studio apartment. Oh yes, three families live here, each with six members. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about now. Yeah, you think housing situations are bad now, like back in the day. I mean, there was, if you were in a city, you, you better have money. I live with like three of y'all and I'm like, get out of my house. Leave. Silence. So, I mean, they were a very close-knit group. Naturally, you kind of have to be in that time. And two of, of uh, Alphonse's brothers, Ralph Bottles Capone and Salvatore Frank Capone, would actually go on to work with him, at least in some kind of way. Though, whether that was by direct involvement with the mob or by helping with, you know, other aspects of his business, like bootlegging, which was big for them at the time, they would do these kinds oh, of things. Oh, because Prohibition. Prohibition. He was born right on time for Prohibition. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I feel like it would have been so much more fun to drink alcohol when it was illegal. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would have just given it There's that a extra danger. oomph. There's a danger. There's an element to it, which, no, sometimes there was a literal danger because it was, it was distilleries that were making these things that weren't being regulated by the government, and there was a significant higher chance of someone getting poisoned out of that. Yeah, I do wonder the statistics on that because- you do it wrong, you have a bad time. Yeah. You do it right, you have a great time. Yeah, I, I can't remember what it was. And I know someone in the comments right now is going to be correcting me on this, but there was a type of, there was a problem with the thing with moonshine where if it wasn't done properly, you were almost a guaranteed to go blind. Like, well, I can't remember what it was, but there was something about that. Do you remember methanol? what it was? Was it methanol? Was that what it was? Ethanol is what you drink. Methanol is the other one. So yeah, there was I'm something that sure. if you didn't do it properly, there would still be um, enough methanol, I believe it was, in the alcohol, like in the drink that you made in the spirit, that it would actually cause you to go blind. Yeah. Oral intake of 3.16 to 11.85 grams per person of pure methanol could cause blindness. Even at low dose levels, pure methanol might result in a lethal overdose or result in blindness as a clinical symptom. Yes. Okay. So the, I, I was right with that. Thank you for clarifying that because that. Well, yeah. it's because at work, whenever we'd use um, methanol or any of the other, you know, anything like that, we'd be like, oh, don't want to go blind because, you know, we'd be, we'd be joking around. <laughs> so despite the fact that he would go on to become a prominent gangster, uh, Capone from a young age would attend a, uh, a like a, a Catholic school, essentially. And there he was regarded as generally speaking a good student, like he would get good grades, but he didn't really handle the whole uh, strict Catholicism that would come with things. He didn't like the idea of all these rules that were involved in things, you know, nuns slapping your wrist and whatnot. That was not something that he took kindly to. And he ended up getting expelled at the age of 14 for hitting one of his female teachers in the face. Did he go to Catholic school? Like, yes, he was in Catholic. Yes, he was in Catholic school, and I, I, from some incidents. I mean, I'm not saying he was right, but as someone who went to Catholic school, I get it. <laughs> Fair enough. And then what he then had to do after that, after getting expelled, is that he would work some odd jobs around the city. He would play semi-professional baseball. That was a thing that he actually did. And then, so this was by the time that he was 14 years old, he had met a guy called Johnny Torrio who was a New York City gangster, then this is someone that he would then consider to be effectively a mentor to him. He was someone who would show him the ropes of really how to commit crimes and do all these varying At things. 14. Oh yeah, you kidding me? The majority of people who get involved in crimes start so from a young age and they usually have an older mentor that teaches them how to do these things. Well, I just didn't get a mentor, so that sucks. But what no, I was going to say no, 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 is- what context, for what? 
I feel like I could be, I'm so good at logistics and being bossy. I too could run an empire. Gabby is the, you're the definition of I was born in the wrong era. The 1920s. I don't think you'd want to do that. Yeah, but I could be rich. Even if I'm, <laughs> even if people are racist, I could be rich. But that's not what I was going to say. I was going to say he played semi-professional but, uh, baseball by yes. like the age of 14. Yes. How do you get drafted to semi-professional baseball at the as, as Rules a are way more lax there at that time. And I think it was, this is one of the things that he did over the course of that time period because it, was, it wasn't that he just did that at 14. It was that he worked several odd jobs at this time when he was younger. So from the time that he was expelled at 14 and he worked a series of odd jobs after that, including semi-professional baseball. And then, you know, and crime. crimes. You know, it, just a little bit of crime for flavor, just sprinkled in there. That's one of the things that he would do. So I, I do want to talk about Torio, though, because he would be a bit of a prominent character that comes into this. See, Torio was born in Italy in January, on January 20th, 1882, right? And at the age of two, this guy's father passed away and he moved to New York with his mother. His name was later then switched to Johnny because, well, they wanted to get something that would sound more American. American. Yeah, exactly. And so Torio began running with the James Street Gang when he was in his teens in order to try and make more money. Why does that sound familiar, the James Street Gang? I'm, well, it's one of the famous gangs, and that's just one of the things they would do. There was a variety of different famous gangs, and going in and covering their territory, their business operation, all these kinds of things. There is a museum in New York that is literally called the Crime Museum, and it's dedicated to all these varying gangsters. And what it is they did, because it was a huge aspect of uh, like stuff in New York and Chicago. I want to go there. Just, I'm fascinated. I'm pretty sure it was New York. I don't think it's in Chicago. Like I remember reading this and saying it's in New York is the crime museum. Absolutely related. Could we say Johnny was the godfather? Uh, he was a godfather to Al Capone effectively. You could say that, but he wasn't the godfather. There was a, why can I not remember? There's a figure there. There's actually a figure that the godfather is based off of. And I, can you look it up right now? Because I Absolutely. remembered this before and I can't now and it's pissing me off. You don't even have to ask. I'm already on it. It's pissing me off. I don't know why I can't remember it. And I know a bunch of people in the comments right now are going to be making fun of me because I cannot remember it. But that's straight up. God, this is going to bother me. It really is. It really is. Dang. Do you see Ooh, it? Oh, I don't. Who was the real Frank? Uh, Frank Costello? Frank Costello. I think that, that, yeah. The character of Don Vito Corleone was inspired by real life mob boss, Frank Costello. That's okay. That makes sense. Because I remember there's a whole thing behind the story of The Godfather. When they were filming The Godfather, they actually had to change the script a lot for things to make The Godfather figure more positive because the crew was being threatened by the mob. That if they put out negative stuff about the mob, they were going to get hit. I'm not saying it's right. But I get it. Like, that is something that straight up happened. Like, holy crap. I, I probably should do this thing covering that here, too, because I still remember researching that a while back, and that is wild. Do you just research stuff for fun? Yes, literally. How else do you think that I know all the random things off the top of my head? I don't spawn into existence with this information. I just, I just go on binges. That's how I get <laughs> these things. I wish. So... Well, eventually here, after running all these errands for the James Street gang, he saves up a bunch of money and he opens a local pool hall slash gambling den, this kind of thing. Definitely illegal. Like it's, it's not something that is supposed to be done. He's running an illegal gambling operation, which catches the eye of the local mafia couple, like the captain, the leader. And this is Paul Kelly. So soon Torrio became Kelly's number two guy. And he taught Torrio how to be more sophisticated by, I kid you not, not swearing so much. See, Valid. this was a problem. And this is what a lot, a lot of the early mobsters in this time period, where it really becomes the whole idea of the gentleman mobster, is that they weren't just two-bit gangsters. They weren't just to be violent thugs. They were businessmen, all right? They would smoke a cigar, treat you to a fine dinner, and then if you pissed them off during that dinner, later they would call a hit, they would kill you and your entire family. But they did it politely. And that's really all one could ask if you're going to be taken out. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was literally one of the things. It's like, if you want to be taken seriously, don't swear so much. Make yourself sound more upstanding and you'll have less problems dealing with politicians, the police and whatever. And that was a rule that they would all live by. And so this taught him to be a legitimate business, legitimate business owner. And soon Torrio ended up leaving the operation still on good terms with Kelly. Like it wasn't anything where they tried to screw each other over anything. And he began his own 
operation that would include bookmaking, loan sharking, hijacking, prostitution, and opium trafficking. Ah, just some light crimes. Yeah, yeah. And that is where Capone ends up coming in. So Al Capone would work with a bunch of different street gangs in 1918. He was involved with the Junior 40 Thieves, the Bowery Boys, which is another very famous one. You've probably heard that name here before. The Brooklyn Rippers and the Five Point Gang. And so he was employed by a racketeer by the name of Frankie Yale, who would mentor Capone in his bar in Coney Island called the Harvard Inn. And it was during that time that he was there that Capone would end up getting slashed in the face because he was in dispute with a guy that apparently he inadvertently insulted this guy's sister and the guy went after him and cut, his, cut up his face. And so after, um, after, after Capone recovered, uh, he, he then went and killed the guy. And then for the rest of his life, he was, uh, he, he was scarred pretty badly. And this is where he got the nickname Scarface. But he hated it because it was prominent. You look, if you actually look at a picture, like if you go look Al Capone's scar right now on your phone, and for anyone that is watching or looking at this right now, maybe we'll put up a picture here on YouTube. You'll see what it is James that I'm talking about. Will. Yeah, where he just has this, like you look at a, a shot from the front of the face, you're not going to really see anything. You look at it from the side, like he turns to the left so you can see the right side of his face. And it is a prominent set of scars that is running down that. Yeah, it is. But also, I don't know why I didn't. I don't know what I thought he looked like. But definitely, that is not what I thought. You're probably looking like. as well as an older picture of him. But that's the whole thing. He was he was a gentleman mafia Italian boss, and he had the he 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 treated people nicely. You know, he was it was about the family. That's what he was. So the thing is, it, it's it's not like you're gonna see some some like buff guy hitting the gym and doing these things. No, he was, he was a businessman. He was a soft-handed guy who knew how to then put on a pair of brass knuckles and screw your face up. That is, that's what he would do. Important life skills. Yeah. So he actively, over the course of his years, would try to hide the scars in any way that he could. Every time he was photographed, he always posed himself by looking to the right slightly or like down or straight so that his scars wouldn't be there, right? And so in 1918, Capone then goes and marries May Coughlin who is an Irish-American Catholic that was actually two years older than him. However, May and Al both ended up listing their ages at 20 on their marriage certificates, and the couple soon had a child. This, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why this would be the case, would end up being their first and only child, Albert Francis Sonny Capone, who was born three weeks before their wedding. They wanted to make sure he could attend. Yeah, yeah. Also, they're Catholic. Catholics are cool with it. You know, like they're not going to be like, ah, oh, you're shunned. So, you know, I, I mean, there's, there's a reason why they the had Catholic to get married. Thing. You know, <laughs> it's just what it's, it's, it's happening. And so after this, Capone sets aside the life of crime. He stops. He goes straight, at least for a while. He works as a bookkeeper, that kind of thing. Just the general kind of stuff. You know, the more legal version of what it was that he kind of would have been doing before. But soon afterwards, as a little time goes on and he starts needing a bit more money, he starts getting involved in more crimes, even while his wife, the mother of his child, is actively discouraging and telling her son to not do that, to not try to follow in the father's footsteps. And this is what then leads to Capone becoming the boss. Hey everyone, Sakuya here, and before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
So, okay. The Capones would go and move to Chicago in 1919, and this was at the behest of Joe Torrio, the guy that we talked there before, the guy who was the mentor to Capone in the first place. And at the time, Torrio was working as an enforcer for James Big Jim Colissimo. An enforcer is essentially a position with the organized crime in which you are the guy who's making sure that everything happens. And if it doesn't, you're the one that is using muscle to make it happen. Thus, enforcer, forcing something to happen. And this was an essential boss in the Italian-American organized crime syndicate. Torrio would go and soon move his operations to Chicago because his aunt's husband, that was Jim Colissimo, like that's how they were related in this, was being blackmailed by a group called the Black Hand. And as a favor to Colissimo, Torrio and his gang waited for the extortionists to come by and pick up the money and then just straight up gunned them all down. Yeah, no, just outright, just cut them down, cut them to pieces. And so while in Chicago, Torrio began running prostitution rackets for the Colissimo family, transforming the houses with, this is going to sound wrong. This is going to sound very wrong. Just as a heads up. Human trafficking. Yes, it was human trafficking. They were specifically obtaining virgins that had been tricked in there into joining up and signing up and becoming prostitutes because virgins are, I mean, that's- a, It still a, happens today. It's just human trafficking. Yeah, it's a valuable thing. Exactly. And so there was even a incident here during this like slave trade, effectively when this happened, where two girls ended up managing to escape from the prostitution ring. And two of Torrio's men then went and as undercover agents to find them and save them after they had called the police and ended up killing them in cold blood. Yeah, this way they wouldn't be able to actually testify against them. He's not an innocent guy or anything. Remember, the guy, people that we're talking about in this situation are, they are gangsters. They, some of them may pose themselves as generals, or generals, gentlemen. gentlemen, but they are murderers and thieves. They are. So Torrio would go and marry a Jewish woman by the name of Anna Jacob, and he would lay down his roots and start settling down in Chicago. And knowing that his mentor was staying in Chicago, Al Capone then moved to Chicago and together they ran, you know, the Chicago outfit where they were. And they, they did this together until Calissimo, the guy who was married to the aunt of, of Joe in the first place, apparently he disgraced himself and then divorced Torrio's aunt. This, you, know, you remember, they're Catholic as well going into this. And the whole idea with an Italian family, you don't piss off the family. This enraged them to such a degree that Torrio had Calissimo executed in May of 1920. He had a hired man by the name of Frankie Yale to carry out the hit, and both Yale and Torrio were then put on trial for the murders, but the prosecution's witness refused to testify, and both men ended up getting released. Remember, because they're threatening everyone. You, you can't really do much against them. So soon, the Chicago outfit then becomes a force to be like reckoned with. It is strong. And Torrio sets up an agreement between himself, his group, and another rival gang, Dean O'Banion and his outfit. The agreement was that they were going to become business partners. And remember, this is prohibition. So the big moneymaker thing that's going on at this time is bootlegging. And they're going to effectively split the city. They're going to split the profits. That way, they're not going to fight each other. They're not going to kill each other. And they're not going to do these things that could potentially ruin and hurt their profits. Do they stick with it? Hell no, they don't. It's yeah, gangsters. I was like, absolutely not. They're going to scare each other over. No. See, and it wasn't even Torrio that does this in the first place. It's O'Bannon. So what O'Bannon does is he tries to set up Torrio and Capone for murders in one of his local outfits clubs. And after both Capone and Torrio end up getting released, Torrio may have, and we don't know this, it is what is believed, hired Frankie Yale again to go and commit the murder of O'Banion. Frankie Yale is doing a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think one of his nickname was like machine gun something because like he, he straight up had like a Thompson machine gun that he loved to mow people down with. That was his thing. When he got caught, that was like the thing that he had on him. So O'Banion's murder though, all things considered, is still unsolved. Like we, we, we don't know with absolute certainty. And so after Calissimo was murdered in 1920 and the whole thing happened with O'Bannon, Torrio would go and take over as the boss of what it was effectively at the time, the largest organized crime group in the entire city. 
And whereas Calissimo refused to ever be involved in the bootlegging business to do anything like that, that was something that Torrio, as I said, jumped in fully. Like he was full in on all these operations for the illegal alcohol industry as soon as he managed to take power. And he wanted to be known as the guy who would settle disputes. He wanted to be the peacemaker, like what we just talked about with, you know, splitting the whole deal with O'Bannon and others. But when he called that hit. Yeah, he just killed a dude. Yeah. See, there was the problem. How are you settling disputes? Killing the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. That's see? not an effective strategy for a conflict resolution, unfortunately. No, as not I unless learned. you knock out all of them. I and took a whole class on conflict resolution this semester. And guys, you can't kill the opposing side. It doesn't work. And that is precisely the point. That's what ends up going wrong here in the scenario, because what we end up seeing is that the people who end up taking over the gang afterwards, um, they want their revenge, right? So after driving his wife home from the grocery store, Torrio gets ambushed and shot four times by Obanian's crew as retaliation for, you know, murdering their leader. Torrio gets shot in the chest. He gets shot in the neck. The right arm, the groin. The groin. The groin. But when the shooter walks up with his gun and as, as Torrio is there, puts it directly to his head and pulls the trigger, nothing happens. As was he out of ammo? He was out of ammo. He spent all of it. Didn't bring anything else, apparently. That was so, really lucky. Yeah. So luckily for him, the gunman and his driver fled the scene. And Torrio, despite all the wounds that he took, still managed to survive. Capone and, and many other bodyguards would then sit outside of his hospital room and protected him the entire time that they recovered. And after his recovery, Torrio, who, you know, involved in all this illegal shit that he was doing, still ended up getting sentenced to jail and had to serve nine months in prison where, you know, because they were a mob boss and he was, you know, real rich and everything, he ended up paying off the warden to give him a bulletproof cell as well as two armed guards that would stay by him at all sides to make sure that no other prisoners that potentially could have been bribed or otherwise would try to break into his cell and kill him. Because he that was a real possibility. A nine-month sentence, though. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you, the, the way that it that worked with all this is you had to book them on what you could get, not what you wanted them to get. Because you didn't know what was going to happen. It's the same logic as to why when some kind of big crime or something happens today and you're like, oh man, this is a murder, but we're going to like plea it down to manslaughter just to like try to get out of it as much as possible. You know, 20 years versus five years, that sort of thing. That's what would end up happening. And so after his release, Torrio wanted no part of this anymore. He was done. He was tired. So he announces his retirement and he quickly goes and moves to Italy with his wife. Leaving. Was it just easy to move to Italy back in the day? I mean, he had the money now. Oh, the true. Thing. He's wealthy. Yeah, he's wealthy now. So, yeah, they're able to just go back to Italy and live out his retirement. And he leaves control of the Chicago outfit to, can you guess who? Al Capone. Al Capone. Exactly. So, Capone is now the head of an organization that runs a variety of different businesses. We're talking about illegal breweries. We're talking about gambling rackets, prostitution rings. And all of this is being done with the protection of like political forces within the government that are his allies from bribes and also law enforcement. Like they are working together for this. It is a horribly corrupt time. We love teamwork. Also, let's be so honest. I'm sure the police are like, listen, I know a decent amount of cops. Um, I'm sure they also enjoyed their little bruise, their little Straight up, what Night do you think caps. was end up happening with a lot of this? So I get it. They're like, listen, listen, pal, you give me some, you're good. A lot of people don't even understand this when they when they think about it here, right? So the the gangsters, and we're gonna get into this. They were seen in some by some people as straight up heroes, and we're gonna get into what he was doing because there he treaded a fine line between murderous thug and hero of the common people because prohibition was not popular. No matter what it is that people say, there was this big moral movement of push specifically from like the women's temperance movement and all of that. But it was horribly unpopular with the majority of poorer people because alcohol was one of the few things that they like had. So the removal of that, the takeaway of that meant that there was really nothing for them. It, they were pissed. So the food banks that he opened up, the soup kitchens, the like, like the distributing of booze, all this kind of stuff. The poor loved Capone for a long time. Like he, he may have done a lot of legal shit and murdered people, but one of the things is that people would actually protect him. Because of the white claw. Because of the white claw. Yeah, he basically was the white claw or the white scar. 
exactly why I yeah. call a distributor. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what he was. So I'll give you this as a fine example of this, right? The 1924 town elections in Cicero, Illinois, became known as one of the most crooked elections in the, like the entire history of the Chicago area. Voters at this point, and this is when Capone and his cronies are trying to get into politics, right? Voters at the polling stations were being th like threatened by mobsters, like by straight up thugs who were there guarding them. Capone's mayoral candidate, the guy who he backed for it, won by a huge margin. But then only weeks later, after he actually won, the newly elected mayor announced that he was going to run Capone out of town. He betrayed the family. So Capone. Did he get murdered? No. Oh, no. I mean, yay. But guess what? <laughs> Capone met with the puppet mayor. And in front of everyone, brazenly grabbed him and threw him down the steps of town hall. Did he get arrested? No. What is going on? No. After this, the authorities didn't go against him. He basically had control of Cicero, Illinois. Like no one was going against him. They had absolute control of this region. I'm so baffled. Yeah, it was, it was like his own private territory, like feudal estate, pretty much. I'm not even kidding with this. So for Capone... This was a huge period that was great for him, but simultaneously it was also marked by a couple dark things like the death of his brother, Frank, at the hands of the police. And as was custom among gangsters, what he did was he signaled his mourning by attending the funeral unshaven and he cried openly at the gathering. Like that was the thing, like you still showed emotion, you showed love for those that you had lost. And so over the years here, Capone and his family would put down their, you know, their hold, their roots, everything in Cicero. In 1930, Capone's sister, Mafalda's marriage would take place at St. Mary of Sechawa, which I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's a, it's a Polish cathedral. So that's where it takes place. And they were able to, after this, set up a lot more racketeering businesses as they were basically the law now. Nothing was racketeering because they could do whatever the hell they freaking wanted, right? And so this takeover made it really hard for their rivals the North Side gang to try and eliminate members of their outfit because they weren't at this point just going to be dealing with the outfit. They were also going to be dealing with the literal law because now the police were protecting the mobsters. I know you're looking away from me here like what I'm the fuck baffled. is even going on right now? <laughs> yeah, this is the horrible corruption that was going on in Chicago at this time. Like you think that Chicago has a gang problem now, buddy, like it is what is happening now is like way more de like decentralized and, and arguably more violent, but it, it, Chicago has almost always had a gang problem. It's just worse. That's the thing. So Capone during this time period, because people were constantly after him, never went anywhere without an armed detail because many different times during this, they still tried to assassinate him. They still try to do it. It just didn't work. Although weirdly enough, he never actually went and carried a weapon himself. A gentleman a can gentleman. fire a weapon. Exactly. So, so, okay, yeah, he didn't carry a weapon for himself or anything like that. But Capone during this time was notorious, right, as being the guy who was in control of massive amounts of Chicago. He just was. And he had this bitter rivalry that was going on with the North Sea gangsters, he, with Dion O'Banion, that guy here from earlier, with Bugs Morin, um, Banion's lieutenant, Earl Jaime Wise, there's a lot of guys, a lot of very interesting nicknames. Banyan is the guy that killed, um, Tori or killed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like okay. there's a lot of these varying different groups that they had, they had groups and it wasn't just him. It was like his successors, all these people that come after him. Right. And so although Capone's organization was making a huge amount of money from illegal prostitution and alcohol, some estimates by this time, by 1925, were estimating that they were grossing $10 million a year. And we say this, this is $10 million Back in, in 1925. So what I, is $10 million right today? Look, look it up right now for inflation, for what something is worth. $10 million in 1925, right? Okay, the camera seriously cut out right there because it literally died because I'm an idiot that forgot to charge it here in the first place. So I know this is going to sound like a little bit of a weird interruption. All right, but yes. Okay, so you were saying how much was the money worth? Because you, you ended up getting this in the very end where you found how much... Uh, $10 million dollars in 1925. In 1925 is $171,558,959.53 in 2023. Holy <laughs> So yes, they were pulling in that basically every single year between 1925 and 1930. My God. 
And the entire way that he was able to escape prosecution on literally anything that he or his gang did was just by bribing city officials during this time. Like they could just, clearly they could afford it considering everything that we're seeing right there. So Capone was, uh, was rumored to have many other retreats and hideouts and other things. Uh, they had places in Wisconsin, in Minnesota, New York. They had in Indiana, Iowa, Arkansas, Tennessee, Michigan. You name it, he probably had a place, some kind of hideout or something there. He was literally everywhere. And so in 1928, Capone went and bought a retreat at Palm Island, Florida. And it was shortly after this purchase that he would orchestrate one of the most famous gang killings in all of American history. That being the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in 1929. Have you heard that name before? I have heard that name before. Yeah. See, that's, that's the thing. That's the famous moment that a lot of people associate with Capone. Who would massacre on Valentine's Day? So here's, here's what happened, right? This would occur in the Lincoln Park neighborhood on Chicago's north side. And although the, although the details regarding the killing of the seven victims at the garage that occurred here are still in dispute. This is something that we still have nothing concrete even necessarily to this day. The deaths are generally linked to Capone and his henchmen. We can't say for absolute certainty that he did, but it seems that that was the case. And especially by Jack Machine Gun McGurn, who is thought to have led the operation. That was his nickname, Jack Machine Gun McGurn. You know why? Why? Because he straight up brought a machine gun with him everywhere. In fact, I'm realizing now, the guy that I confused in the beginning, the... um. The, the, the May guy who committed the killings before I was confusing that guy with this guy. This is the guy. And I know that there's probably going to be a number of comments that are going to say this and they're going to hear me do this little correction literally right now. This is the guy that got the nickname for straight up being machine gun because he constantly kept a Thompson machine gun with him like wherever he went. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. I mean, that's understandable in these circumstances and these trying times. Yeah. You know that classic thing of like the Thompson machine gun and it's like has the big drum barrel magazine. Is that a Tommy gun? Yeah, that's a Tommy gun. That's what it calls. Yeah. Because in Destiny, I have a Tommy gun that overheats every time. So every single time I play a shooter, because yes. I know if I put my hand on the trigger for too long, it'll burn me. Mm-hmm. Um, every single shooter that I play now, I only shoot in bursts. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Gabby, why are you shooting in bursts? You could just hold down the trigger. I'm like, oh, right, right, right. I'm not playing it's not Destiny. That good. Right, right. Because I've played that gun on destiny for years at this point in time. Like I could switch to a different gun, but I love my little Tommy gun. No, no, it's again, Gabby, that's completely understandable. And yes, they, they did this. And honestly, it's a fitting thing because another name for a Tommy gun was a bullet hose because it's straight up what it was. The problem was the gun was extremely expensive to produce in the first place. And simultaneously it fired so fast that it would waste its ammunition effectively. That was one of the key problems is it was great for suppressing a position, but it just, it wasn't very cost effective, which is why the Thompson was only really used by officers pretty much in World War II. And most soldiers went, that would end up being equipped with a machine gun that didn't have like the M1 Garand would end up getting like the grease gun because the grease gun would fire at a much slower rate and was way cheaper to produce in the first place. So anyway, yeah, that's what it is that he had. Throughout the 1920s then, there were a number of attempts to try and assassinate Capone as I already talked about. He was shot at a restaurant and his car was riddled with bullets more than once. However, most of the would-be assassins apparently sucked at their job. Like they just weren't very good. There's a trend of assassins being notoriously bad at actually assassinating people in most of the episodes we've done recently. If they were good at it, unless we were covering the story of an assassin, we wouldn't necessarily have much of a story left to work with because the guy would be dead. 
Valid. Then again, we have talked about the number of hits. So the number of assassinations that Capone caused, like he ordered. True. So, true. There is so he that. was good at it. He job. was good at it, at ordering it at least. Yes, that's correct. So Capone, though, during this time period, despite all the bullets, everything that was flying, everything that was going around him, he was constantly trying to whitewash, whitewash his image for the community. He wanted to be a guy that people could look up to, that was, that, like, they respected him, this sort of thing. And so the big thing going into it is that he would launch a bunch of different campaigns. Like he actually created a program which would continue for decades after his death. They would continue to try and fight childhood rickets. Because that was a big problem for children back in the day. And this would provide them a daily safe milk ration that they would be able to consume during that time. What is rickets? Rickets? Um, like, oh God, how do I even explain this here for the disease? Um, okay, hold on, hold on. I'm going to literally need to look this up in order to pull up the full description because it's like one of those classic uh, diseases that we associate with this time. A softening and weakening of bones in children, usually due to inadequate vitamin D. Vitamin D, yeah. So one of the things that ended up happening for a lot of children that were stuck inside of these apartments, dirty apartments with no windows, they quite literally would not get access to any like vitamin D. And, and then the food wasn't calcium. quality enough. Yes. Yeah. So remember what we talked about the, the in the patron exclusive episode for the swill milk? Yeah. It wasn't good quality milk. It didn't have all the stuff. So he wanted to make sure that it was a good quality daily milk ration for the Chicago children so that they would actually be stronger and not develop rickets. And so during the depression, then when things got real serious, Capone would go and open up a whole bunch of soup kitchens for the poor and the homeless and just take care of them for the neighborhood. And that's what he did. Because, you know, you take care of them and they won't turn on him. So conflicted with his character. Like, he's way too complex. But also a horrible person. Because oh, of yeah. all the hits and murder and prostitution. Absolutely. And human trafficking and drugs. Yeah. But he prided himself as a guy with style. He was a gentleman gangster, as we talked about. So if he ever killed someone himself or ordered it to happen, he or one of his henchmen would then you know, after killing an important person would deliver a massive bouquet of flowers to that person's funeral. But then you'll know who did it. Yeah. Oh, right. But the cops are protecting him. Yes. Obviously, my bad. Yeah. Forgot. That's the kind of thing he did. There was a fight that occurred at one point between Capone's men and another gang and a woman that was nearby accidentally got shot during this fight. So what Capone did is that he personally then paid for all of her hospital fees. Because, you know, he felt bad for this. It's like she wasn't caught up in any of it. She was an idiot. He did it. What was the state of healthcare back in the day? Like bankruptcy worthy or? I mean, it wasn't as expensive as it is now, but it wasn't as good as it is now. Did they have health insurance? When did health insurance become a thing? That's actually a great question. And there have, there have been health, varying types of health insurance for many years. But that's actually a great question as to when the modern healthcare system even came into being. I'm pretty sure that the modern healthcare insurance system came to be in like the 70s. 1930s. Health insurance resembling what we think of today began in the 1930s during the Great Depression. Prior to that, it wasn't so much health insurance to pay for the cost of medical treatment. Rather, it was what we would call disability income insurance. Mm, okay, yeah, so a lot more people are able to pay for the, Yeah, that makes more so sense. So by the 1950s, almost all working people and members of their immediate families had insurance that paid most of the cost of hospitalization. Okay, that, okay. But I bet it was like $2, so shout out to them for living yeah, my dream. In comparison to the modern system, because I'm telling you all this right now, we just had to get <laughs> health insurance. Because, I have not had health insurance for almost two years. Yeah, so he hasn't had health insurance since he quit his job. He's just been winging it. But I'm like, listen, when you gamble... Your lock runs out, so you're getting health insurance. Plus, he hasn't actually had a physical in, like, when was 2020? That was like three, three years, years So we got health insurance, and I haven't had health insurance since I quit my job because it has been impossible to get. The state system is so stupid for trying to get it. So we literally battled for... Months to try and get it. Like We've been trying to get health insurance, actively calling in repeatedly We've been since, trying. It's since just June. been terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible process that makes... Zero cents, and we still don't even understand it because our daughter's on different health insurance than we are. Don't know why. No so clue. Stupid. Googled it. Shouldn't be. But you know, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's exactly what would happen. Like, it's just, anyway, moving on from the health insurance, which actually, <laughs> you know, that is a very fun, cool fact. I didn't know that. So, thank you, Gabby. Thank you for bringing that up. 
So Capone still, during this time, he sought to retain an image of himself as being a respectable businessman. That was the entire thing of what he wanted to do. He was a contributing member, an upstanding person within the community. That was the idea. And although he was known to attempt to try and peacemake between varying different groups, the problem was is that as time went on and things became desperate over the course of as like the Great Depression really kicked in, more and more gang violence started to escalate and create full-on outright gang wars in Chicago and other areas. And this, this got bad. It got so bad to the point that Capone felt that he and his family and his entourage, etc., if they could, they did not go into Chicago itself. They handled effectively everything they could through middlemen. And because of the violence, he then had his family move to Miami, Florida, where he purchased, this, this is another crazy fact, a 10,000 square foot mansion, which he very obviously could afford. But guess who he bought it from? Who? The Budweiser people. Anheuser-Busch. Like the company that makes Bud Light and everything. What do they make during Prohibition? Well, okay. There were certain companies during this time that were still allowed to produce limited qualities, of, like quantities of things. They could be producing stuff that was specifically meant for... Um, like spirits that could potentially be used as, as like a, oh God, what is the term that I'm looking for? I'm not cleansing a sterilized, like for sterilizing, like alcohol to sterilize wounds. You could still make that kind of thing. There could still be stuff that was produced specifically for export. I think there was like alcohol five, to sterilize wounds. Yeah. No, Gabby, I kid you not. There were straight Just up like scenarios. <laughs> we're we're going to need to do a whole episode on prohibition because, oh my God, the amount of stupid shit that is Wait, in there. didn't we sit through, we went on the, so we live in Kentucky and we live really close to the Kentucky bourbon trail. Um, that narrows it down. Now you guys kind of know where we live. But anyway, we went to Four, Four Roses, Roses, which Four Roses isn't bad, but it's not a bourbon that I will just sip on. But it was pretty cool to go see because I think during prohibition. It was one of the only ones allowed to be open. Yeah. So... Fun fact for you, you should definitely do the bourbon trail at some point. Even if you don't drink, drink some water, but like go for the history. And also they they show you how they make the bourbon, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Kind of gross, however, because you could actually see the barrels. And I was like, mm. it's like watching how sausage is made. <laughs> and I didn't appreciate that. But So when all this is going down here, right, during Prohibition, remember how we talked about how rich this guy is? Wealthy. Yes. The Jeff Bezos so. of his time. So Capone was known for being very flashy with his money, of course. He had uh, custom suits, expensive jewelry, uh, imported cigars, fancy cars, literally everything that you could imagine this guy had because he was he was the big cheese. He was the one who was in charge of all so of it. So he wasn't a silent luxury <laughs> no, bro. God, no. He was like the you know, you know those people on social media who are like by opening designer every week and you're like Oh, yeah. yeah. That, is, that is the cost of my house. I saw a bag. It was a handbag that cost more than our house. And she was just like, oh, got this for like Christmas or whatever. I'm like, damn, girl. I say this without any irony like, whatsoever among anything. The, I hate these people with the burning actually, passion. Actually, it was $230,000. So it cost more than mm -hmm. our house. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 I hate these people with the burning passion. I'm like, do you have a mortgage on your bag? Mm. It was an Hermes bag, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So he was expensive. These Those people that you just described are stupidly expensive. And the problem was, is that even with as flashy as he was, there was no real evidence that could ever actually convict him. It was a problem. They couldn't ever get anything. And so even when police frustrated, cracked down on his brothels, on his gambling dens, on anything that he had, there was nothing that ever really tied itself to Capone. So they didn't have any evidence to actually convict him of anything, thus setting Capone and anything that he actually did free. There wasn't anything that could happen. But because this happened again and again and again and again, Capone was this massive target for prosecutors that they constantly wanted to go after, especially because among the local communities, among the poor in many areas, he was basically a celebrity. Like he was. So on the advice of his publicist, I kid you not, he straight up Capone, Al Capone, the gangster, had a publicist. He did not hide from the police. He would straight up walk down, up and down through the streets, showing off to public. He would do anything that he could to put himself into the public eye. You know, Charles Lindbergh, the guy that was the first guy to cross the Atlantic and everything. Yeah. So 
when he landed, Capone pushed his way to the front of the crowd so that he could shake the guy's hand. And there's like photographs of that happening. Like they straight up did that. He he gained all this admiration from the poor, from everything that he did with his soup kitchens, from everything to try and protect him. He would lend any kind of loans and help to his fellow struggling Italian-Americans because a lot of people in America during this time didn't really like the new Italian-Americans because they were, I'm going to use this terminology and understand guys that I'm saying this in terms of historical, uh, it's like sense. They were filthy thieving immigrants that were like stealing people's jobs and worse yet, they were, they were thieves and crime lords. Like that was, that was the stereotype that would happen with Italians because a lot of them were coming over from the Southern parts of like Italy and the Sicily region that was known to have the famous crime families. Guess what developed in America after that? What? The mafia and the famous crime families. There was a lot of hatred between varying different groups. So like the Irish, the Italians, were constantly going at one another. They hated each other. There was Jewish gangs in New York as well. So you had the Irish, you had the Italians, you had the Jews, and simultaneously you had like like African gangs that were in there too. And all were basically fighting each other for territory and influence. So sorry, I'm looking at terrible handbags. Um, <laughs> that costs more than gangs. a house. I'm so sorry, but it's <laughs> ugly and it's $300,000. Oh my God. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So a lot of people essentially viewed Capone as this lovable outlaw kind of figure. And that's really the image that he would try to cultivate. But as the gang wars started to escalate and the St. Valentine's Day massacre occurred and all these kinds of things happened, more and more people started to realize over time, like, hey, this guy might be trying to help some people, but um, he's a crazed killer and a murderer. Um... They finally realized it just took them that long. Yeah. So Capone, over this time period, he spent 10 months in the Eastern State Penitentiary on weapons charges from 1929 to 1930. And his ability, though, to pay off the guards, because that's what he did. He paid off the guards and prison officials meant that he could live like the high life while still there in prison. So he basically got a cushy hotel room with guards and everything, right? He got a Norwegian prison. Yeah. Have you, is it true that wealthy people even today can get nicer prison? Yes. With like golf courses? There are, there are some like that, yeah. It's so relaxing. You just get to do nothing all day. Listen to all, get some good food, you know. Living your life. You don't have to leave the house. There's no obligation. You get invited out. You don't have to make up an excuse. Bro. <laughs> yeah, so that stuff happens. And so Capone from all this ends up heading a list as effectively the public enemy number one with Chicago. All the big officials that are not corrupt and tied to him are trying to get him and bring him down. And so pursuing Capone was the treasury agent, a guy by the name of Elliot Ness, and a handpicked team of individuals that apparently, for whatever reason, could not be corrupted by Capone and his gangsters, right? So they had morals, integrity. So So you had these people, an agent from the Treasury Department's Bureau of Internal Revenue. So it's the IRS. Did they get him for tax evasion? That's the big joke that comes from all of this. So during one of the routine warehouse raids, they were when they were going after him, and you know they never find any evidence. They end up finding a log of transactions and other things here. A crudely set, or not crudely set, a crudely coded set of accounts that he has nothing that has been disclosed to the IRS. So here's the problem. Okay, Gabby, and I'm, I'm saying this right now for anyone listening to this. When we applied for insurance, do you remember me laughing my ass off when the lady was asking me to disclose all like areas yeah. of income? And okay. she asked the final category, illegal income. You need to disclose this. And like, he was illegal? like, wait, you illegal? <laughs> like what? Like what? Oh, for any money that you may have obtained through illegal transactions or purposes. What? (laughs) I mean, they're covering all. You know, that actually makes sense. That is very poetic. Like every single I'm like, we literally pay someone to do our taxes at this point in time because I'm like. Mm-hmm. terrifying what yeah yeah so it was um yeah th- that's what they ended up getting him on they arrest him for tax evasion 
And so Capone was then tried in a very highly publicized federal court trial in 1931. And there was, there was even a film actor by the name of Edward G. Robinson who played the character like Little Caesar in a later, like a gangster film that went to that trial specifically to watch him in order to try to like imitate him for a later movie role that he was going to do. So that's kind of funny. Capone ended up pleading guilty to all the charges like, or he ended up pleading guilty to some of the charges on the advice of his lawyer team because they were trying to go for a plea deal in order to be able to lessen his sentence. And the judge basically said, <laughs> screw you. No. Valid. Did not allow the plea deal to actually mean anything. And so Capone ended up being sentenced to 11 years. I think it was in prison. So he was charged. He was found guilty on five out of 22 accounts, three felonies and two misdemeanors of tax evasion for the years of 1925, 26 and 27. And the willful failure to file tax returns for 1928 and 29. Like he straight up did not bother filing a tax return at all. So they, they tried to offer the thing to like to pay all taxes, to pay any fees, to pay literally anything they could in fines in order to get out of it. And like, Capone was warned, hey, you're probably gonna have to pay a hefty fine from it. Ah, it's fine. You know, he makes $10 million a year, whatever. He, he, he can do it. Can he make money from prison? Well, from his, his gang could. But what the judge then did is turned around and sentenced him to 11 years in federal prison and one year in county jail. And he also had to pay $50,000. But mind you, from this, from everything that he's done, oh, nine months, oh, eight months, 10 months, et cetera, 11 years in like state prison and one year in county jail. That's 12 freaking years. So the, Capone ends up going red with rage when this happens because, you know, he's like trying to take the plea deal. He's trying to do all that. And so in May, 1932, Capone gets sentenced to a tough federal prison in Atlanta, but he is able to, through his money and connections, basically take over the prison. <laughs> I know I can see your face right now. They don't like this. And so he ends up getting transferred. Do you know where he gets transferred to? Alcatraz. I was thinking Alcatraz, and I'm like, that's too on the nose. Yeah. That is easily one of the most famous prisoners that Alcatraz would ever have. For tight security, a warden who did not give a shit and could not be bribed. Yeah. How do you become warden at Alcatraz? Yeah. How do you That's become a good question, actually. But Capone entered Alcatraz, you know, confident, thinking that like he could take everything over. And he tried to win time off by, you know, good behavior, maybe slip a couple bribes here to some officials, see what it is that he could do. But when he tried to bribe the guards and get special treatment, this caused him to be sent into solitary confinement. They couldn't be bribed. And when he tried to do this and from how he treated others and how he acted himself, he, people hated him in there. His fellow prisoners, they, oh, oh, they didn't like him. He refused to take part in a prisoner strike after a sick inmate ended up dying because he was denied medical treatment. And so when he would continue his work in the prison's laundry, he was continuously harassed by other prisoners and called like a rat. He was eventually allowed to remain in his cell until the strike was resolved. But the prisoners from then on out, like, you know, they, they had it out for him. They, they, they would not let him go. He had no peace. And so eventually he was just assigned to mopping up the prison's bathhouse. And from there, he got the nickname WAP with a mop. And he later then got stabbed in the back by one of his, like one of his fellow prisoners. He got hospitalized for about a week and would from then on just suffer further harassment. And more people would try to assassinate him while he was in there. Alcatraz is wild. We should do an episode on that. Oh, yes, we should. Their longest warden didn't serve that long. And apparently it was really hard to be a warden there. And also a bunch of people die. Oh, yeah, I know. It's some crazy shit. It really is. So what then ended up happening, right, is that over time, from the years of isolation that he was stuck in here, his mental state started to deteriorate rapidly. And among other things, like what he would do, Gabby, is he would pace around in his cell and then repeatedly make his bed, then unmake his bed, then make his bed, then unmake his bed. And he would do that for hours. Why? He was, just, he was going crazy. He actually started to go crazy. He would sit in a quarter, corner muttering to himself and gibber, like gibbering if he could even say any kind of words they whatsoever. They didn't give him a book? No, he was going crazy. Like that's the thing. He was going crazy during this time. And he was um like he he reverted back to like not even speaking English, just like muttering in Italian the entire time. What happened time. to his wife and kid? 
they would live out their life. I mean, that's, that's the thing. They were away. He didn't actually get out for many years, though he does eventually get out. He, he started to tell people that he was being haunted by the ghost of James Clark, who is one of the people that got killed back in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Like he was responsible for it. Eventually, though, Capone would complete his term in Alcatraz on January 6th, 1939, and ended up being transferred to the Federal Correctional Institution at Terminal Island in California to serve his one-year misdemeanor sentence. He was then released on November 16th, 1939, spent some time in a hospital, and would then return home to his Palm Island home in Florida, where he got to be with his family. The thing is, during this time period, Capone's control over everything started to unravel because he yeah, was he gone was for many years. And guess what also happened during this time? Prohibition lifted. Prohibition lifted. Where did all of his money come from? Prohibition. Prohibition. Meaning he started to lose pretty much everything around him. He couldn't really manage his empire. He started to deteriorate rapidly. Can he just move to Italy, retire? He had money. He could just take it and go. Yeah, well. Unless he had to pay taxes on his stuff they caught him evading taxes with. That was the thing. He just... He like, was he fined a bunch? Because if he was fined a bunch, then maybe he lost that. Like, look, over time, he lost a lot of weight. His physical and mental health deteriorated rapidly, and he just started going crazy. He couldn't really do anything until eventually he would die. I think it was like, what, 1947 or so? He dies fairly soon after that at a pretty young age. And all of this is brought about by, uh, like, his, like his, his health is deteriorated. you know why? Why? Syphilis. He contracted syphilis in his youth, and this then led to early onset dementia, and his whole brain and everything just rapidly deteriorated. When did people start getting routine screenings for that stuff? That's a great question. I don't know. If you want to do because a, a thing on the history of syphilis, we could. Can literally have some of those, not even know it forever, just no symptoms, just living their lives. Anyway, this is your. Public service announcement to get screened regularly just for just for funsies, just for peace of mind. There's nothing wrong with being responsible. Yeah, but that was the end of Al Capone. That's how he died. And from then on, like his empire, everything around him unraveled. The biggest, greatest American gangster from that time. When it that's how he went out, but he was still rich. I mean, he was to a degree here. He still had a number of the homes and everything, but all of his business, everything that he had, gone. And it's not like then he would have been able to use it for very much long afterwards because, again, he rapidly deteriorated. Yeah. Are they descendants of Al Capone? That's Do they question. still have money? Do they count as old money? I didn't look up what actually happened to his son. You know what? I'm going to even look this up right now because this is something that's going to bother me. What actually happened to his son? I just want to know if they have, like, do they count as old money? Because they're pretty old. Like, I don't know. Let's see. So I'm pulling this up here right now. I'm just going on to Wikipedia. Just try to pull this up because I didn't have any of the other prior stuff that came after this. Uh, let's see. His brother, his son. Wait, does not even have his son? It doesn't even list anything here for his son for on it. It just talks about his wife. Hold on. What actually happened to his money afterwards? What happened to Al Capone's money? Al Capone. We need to know. Son. Yeah, this is background. Background research you're <laughs> getting right now as I am, as I am looking at this. Okay. Albert Francis Capone. We got that here pulled up. What happened to Al Capone's son? Uh, While Sonny Capone did threaten to kill Edward Kennedy in 1968, the only crime he was ever convicted of was stealing aspirin and batteries in 1965. Al Capone's son, Sonny, legally changed his name to Albert Francis Brown in 1966 to remove ties to Capone, and he died on July 8th, 2004 at the age of 85. Did he have money? I... Well, like the thing is, so the the wife went on to sell the Florida mansion and remain committed to maintaining Al's legacy even after he died. She sued a production studio due to similarities between Al's life and the Untouchables TV show in 1964. And she died a few years later in April uh, 16th, 1968 at the age of 89. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of people tried to claim that they were bastard children, that they were unclaimed, you know, out of wedlock children of Al Capone, but literally nothing was able to be proven from anything. Because she seemed so loyal to him, I highly doubt he was just cheating on her. He really doesn't, there really doesn't seem to be any indication of it, despite all the stuff that he was tied to with prostitution or anything. He was a gentleman. He couldn't partake. Yeah. 
But there, uh, yeah, but Sonny Capone got married three times, resulting in the birth of many children who since had what would be considered Al Capone's great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And many of Al Capone's descendants are still alive today, but they do not make their connection to the gangster's lineage widely known. Valid. But yeah. if you're listening <laughs> and you want to submit a family history... <laughs> Don't let me stop you. If any of Al Capone's descendants are listening, because I'm looking at this right now. So literally in 2021, recently, just three years ago, apparently four of his, I think it says it's granddaughters, started auctioning off pieces of his estates. Oh, that's messed up. That's messed up. I think they were out of money from burying things and probably did that. But yeah, if anyone in there has any contact for it, let us know. Okay. Well, family history for this. Now we need to move on to the family history. Okay, so this is coming from a viewer who, um, well, I, I, I had promised a while back that I would tell his story and that I never actually went and did. So that's on me fully for that. I, I apologize. So to Connor Farmer. Hello, my friend. Thank you very much for watching and listening to our show. I am sorry. Here you go. So they went back when we did the Falklands Island episode the, uh, and the Falklands Island War, this guy reached out to us specifically to talk about his Falklands War family history story. So according to him, he says, my granddad is a veteran of the Blues and Royals Regiment in the British Army. In 1982, he and two troops from the regiment, commanded by Captain Mark Corth, were sent with the task force to the Falklands. They were there to provide support with their Scorpion CVRTs, and they landed at San Carlos. They provided security at the beachhead. They then headed towards Mount Tumbledown in order to provide covering fire for the Scots Guard as they attacked the Argentinians' position. However, he was the driver for the troop commander, or he was, he was the driver for the troop commander, and before they got into position, they happened to cross a crater. My granddad asked the commander which direction to turn, and he replied, turn left. Just as he drove around, they then hit a 40-pound landmine. Oh, God. Mick Flynn would later comment on the explosion, saying, I saw the troop commander's vehicle fly about 10 feet into the air. Luckily, there were no injuries apart from a few sore heads. It blew a few of the road wheels a fair distance away and completely destroyed the truck. The vehicle was eventually lifted out of the minefield by a Chinook helicopter, and they then ended up stealing two Argentinian panards that were then brought back to the UK, one of which is the in the Bovington Tank Museum in Dorset. Cool. The incident is fairly well known to those in the regiment at the time and is still joked about to this day. We're very fortunate that it hit the left of the tank and not the right, where the driver sits. Mick Flynn is the most decorated man in the British Army in recent history. Some photos related to the story are listed here below. Hope you find this interesting. Oh, yeah, and he's even got this in here right here. We should post this onto Patreon where we actually put this so we have the photos. But yeah, that's, that's straight up what it looks like. Oh, my goodness. And they survived. Imagine bashing your head on the inside of that. Like, that's... <laughs> oh, my God. That was lucky. Yeah, that is funny. Well, Connor, thank you very much for sending in your family history. And for all of those who want to send us in anything, by all means, please remember to do so. I appreciate all of you. Goodbye, my friends. Bye. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.